0: So we'll go ahead and jump in. Who's excited to talk about sacrifice this morning? (laughs) Laying down our lives, giving up things so that other people can have that same thing. I know by the end of this message, I believe that sacrifice, the principle of sacrifice is going to be opened up in a deeper way. You're gonna see the beauty and the love um, that the Lord has for our little sacrifices in light of his ultimate sacrifice. And so we'll go ahead and jump in here. Let me just pray for us. Lord, I thank you for these people who you love so much. Lord, I thank you for the the individual in here, the individual heart, the individual person, Lord, that has the opportunity to grow in knowledge of you, to grow in love for you through sacrifice. And we thank you for your sacrifice for us all those years ago that it still has the power and always will have the power to bring us to the Father. So, Jesus, we honor your sacrifice as we look at sacrifice this morning. We love you, and I just bless every person here with peace and with ears to hear every word that's from you this morning. And any word that's from me, Lord, I, I pray that you shut it down before it even comes out. Holy Spirit, speak to every heart. We love you so much. So thankful for this day that you have made. Amen. Awesome. Okay, so the title is The Principle of Sacrifice, and then the long title, or the unabridged title, is The Principle of Sacrifice, Closing Our Eyes So That the Blind May See. That's a long title, but we'll, we'll get to it as we go through. <laughs> June 6th, 1944, everyone say 1944, 6.25 a.m., The first waves of 73,000 American men, mostly 20 years old and younger, wait in the back of the famous Higgins landing boats. They are waiting in a hushed, terrible anticipation as they wait for the order to unbolt and lay down the only piece of metal that is protecting them from the untold number of bullets just waiting to be fired from the seemingly impenetrable Nazi strongholds on those bluffs above the coast of northern France a dark storm cloud looms over them, surely symbolizing the darkness of evil awaiting them. Nazi Germany. That they were tasked with penetrating and defeating. The words of General Dwight D. Eisenhower were probably still ringing loudly in some of their teenage hearts as he told the troops this message the day before. You are about to embark. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. June 6th, 2019. I would say 2019. 2.15 p.m. I am sitting in a prayer room, loving on Jesus, meditating on his word. When I notice the sky outside has suddenly turned very dark. In an excited hurry, I get up Get out my radar app on my iPhone to see what storms are coming our way. They are moving in from the southwest, I quickly notice. I determine the best spot to head to, given my years of local knowledge of these hills hills around here and the clear viewing spots that some of these roads give us. I unbolt my car door and jump in to make it to the spot on the hill before the bands of rain move in. June 6th, 1944, 6.30 a.m. The first U.S. Higgins boat unbolts the latches of that last piece of protection as it smashes onto the low tide of Omaha Beach. Young men come pouring out, running headlong through waist-deep water, fiercely storming into the teeth of enemy Nazi artillery. Full of courage, Charging onto a beach where some strategists predicted that up to seventy-five percent of them would lose their lives. What kind of military s- strategists would do that today, where you knew that, or they predicted three-fourths of the people would lose their lives? June sixth, two thousand nineteen, two forty-five p.m. I drive quickly, though still within legal limits. I think. My heart rate's elevated, I'm in a hurried, anticipatory state, driving towards the most strategic spot in Lakeway to view these storms, at least from that direction. I ease my way through the entrance of a gated community, which maybe I'm supposed to be in, maybe not, Um, off off Highway 620 here, just a mile down the road. It's Bella Montagna, by the way. If you're watching from the HOA, I'm sorry. I drive my air-conditioned SUV, listening to worship music, to the top of that hill. I unbolt my car door, set up my camera on my iPhone to shoot pictures, videos, and time lapses of the incoming severe storm. June 6, 1944, 6.35 a.m. Young men pour out onto the beach. They're looking for any semblance of cover, looking for any passage up the steep Normandy bluffs to take out the concrete and steel fortified strongholds. Men shoot up into the dark clouds, hoping and praying that their bullets find their intended target and therefore take one, and therefore take America and the rest of the free world just one step closer towards the security and securing the ability of their families back home to breathe in serenity and continue to have the opportunity to live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and reverence. Thousands are killed within this first hour, within these first waves. June 6th, 2019, 3.10 p.m. I end the shooting of this storm as the rain begins to blow through and obscures the visibility. I returned back to this prayer room to do some quick photo edits and post them to social media, to Instagram and Facebook, just hoping that people would be inspired by the sheer grandeur and beauty of God in creation and hoping that maybe they would look heavenward more in order to see how small they are and how big God is and maybe, just maybe, cry out to Him more and see Him as Father. That's my hope when I post these things. In these moments, I realize a big smile is on my face, as I see myself like a little kid enjoying his father's majestic world and his constantly changing artistic expression in the palette of these Texas guys. June 6th, 1944, sundown. The shooting on the beach is all but ended, with the sheer numbers of American, British, and Canadian men and weaponry pouring forth in wave after wave, eventually overpowering the fortified Nazi bluffs. Overall, 4,414 allied young men, like I said earlier, mostly under 20 years of age, lost their lives as the sun set behind the still overcast French skies. 10,000 were severely wounded. By late August 1944, all of northern France had been liberated. And by the following spring, in May, the allies had defeated the Germans. The Normandy landings on this day have been called the beginning of the end of the war in Europe. I'll just pause right here. Did, who in here in their family has someone who was who fought in World War II? It's amazing. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for these men. June 6, 2019, sundown. It starts to hit me full force what happened earlier on this day. I start tearing up as I realize the significance of this day in light of all the true freedom that has been opened up for me and the generations previous over the last 75 years due to the courage and obedience of these men to face evil head on. Because of the sacrifice of the lives of these real people, get this guys, they were real people with real destinies. On that day, 75 years ago, I was afforded the opportunity. Terry, you were afforded the opportunity to pursue a fun hobby like storm chasing, to own a painting business. Because they unbolted the latch on their boat ramp and ran boldly into a hill, catch this, shrouded with storm clouds, shooting at a people who aided everything that America and the Bible stood for, because of this, I was able to drive boldly up a hill to shoot a picture into the storm clouds that were moving across the landscape of a free community in a free country. The Lord was so kind to point to the parallel of these two days, to reveal to me a deeper layer layer of the beauty of sacrifice, that because they died, I can live, that because they pursued the hard thing and loved not their lives to the death, I was freed up to pursue pastimes, and pleasures like exploring and encountering God and his creation. Without any fear that that storm cloud I was shooting with my picture, with my iPhone, without any fear that that storm cloud was going to shoot back, there was no enemy hiding in that storm cloud that was going to shoot back. They shot bullets into the storm cloud that was shooting back at them so that I could shoot pictures into a storm cloud that was only shooting back love and acceptance from a father in heaven who from his heavenly habitation was the only one looking at me that day. He was watching one of his sons play freely in his created world. Oh, the beauty of sacrifice. Let us take about 30 seconds, guys, even if you just remember one of your ancestors who, who fought in this war, just to quietly in your own heart, thank God for these men and what they did 75 years ago. Awesome. And they their desire is that we would do what we did at 1045, which was sing and laugh and dance and be free. <laughs> we don't have to be so serious even as we remember them. Is that there is a there's a freedom that they purchase where we can, yes, and in sober soberness of mind remember them, but they're like, Yeah, you're free. Use it, be happy. <laughs> John Adams said this about one generation's sacrifice for the next. He said, I must study politics and war, the hard things, that our sons may have liberty to study mathematics and philosophy, also hard things, not as hard. You don't have to lose your life over math. Our sons ought to study mathematics and philosophy, geography, natural history, and naval architecture, navigation, commerce, and agriculture, in order to give their children a right to study painting, Poetry, music, storm chasing, architecture, statuary, tapestry, and porcelain. Do we have any porcelain workers in here, by the way? I feel like that was a late 1790s thing more than it is today. No one works with porcelain? John Adams is not happy right now. He's like, I freed you guys up so you could study porcelain. Sorry, John. So John Adams was a moral, God-fearing founding father of this great country. Here he encapsulated the goal and beauty of sacrifice. It's doing something hard and risky that no one else wants to do so that the people coming after us would have the opportunities to pursue restful, God-endorsed, creative outlets where they can enjoy their creator in peaceful and quiet environments. The essence or the principle of sacrifice is actually very, very simple. Catch this, young people. Sacrifice is giving up something so that someone else can enjoy that same something. It's giving up something so that someone else can enjoy that same something. Like Brooke gives up sleep so that I can sleep. She gives up sleep to feed our seven-week-old little girl, Lane, so that I can sleep. She definitely has a right to ask me to bottle feed her every two to three hours throughout the night since she is with her for 18 other hours of the day. She has that right, but she doesn't. She sacrifices sleep so that I can be sharp and energetic during my day. Brooke gives up sleep so I can enjoy sleep. Sacrifice is giving up something so that someone else can enjoy that same something. And it's very, very practical. It's as practical as that. Or it's even as practical as what happened this morning. This is gonna blow some religious boxes, but we had to actually sacrifice prayer in order to clean this place because our cleaning crew that comes in on Saturdays didn't come in. And so we had like a group of six or seven of us that were cleaning intensely instead of praying. And I was like, guys, for prayer this morning. We're going to clean. You can talk to the Lord as you, as you clean, but it's whatever the Lord is leading you into. Like, and we'll talk about that in a second, but don't leave that, today that I need to sacrifice prayer for a bunch of things because that's not the goal. (laughs) Now, no example of sacrifice, I believe most of us in this room know this is more clear than the sacrificial atoning death of the Son of God. That is the pinnacle. It will never even be close. You can't hold a candle to that sacrifice. Jesus, he gave up his very life so that we would live. He gave up something that he had the right to so that we could have the right to enjoy. Like he literally died, like his heart literally stopped beating. Whenever I meditate on that, it just, it's crazy. His lungs stopped breathing just for the opportunity for us right now in this room to experience abundant life both now and forever. His heart stopped so that ours didn't have to ultimately in eternity. His lungs stopped pumping in air so that our lungs could always breathe in the air of heaven, whether in this age or in the age to come. And catch this, guys. Jesus' sacrificial death established, just like those people on the beaches in 1944, his death established the eternal beachhead for all of humanity, given the entire world, including everyone in this room right now, the opportunity to walk in the wake of his obedience into the promised land of heaven on earth. His beachhead, his sacrifice, paved the way for our ultimate freedom, our freedom from sin, our freedom from sickness, our freedom from pain, our freedom from Satan, all of which the Nazi regime did a pretty good job at representing. We weren't left without example of everything that the enemy represents and the evil that we actually have been free from. So just as the men in 1944 created a beachhead for every generation following them to walk in the freedom, so too with Jesus on an infinitely greater scale. His eternal beachhead has given us the opportunity to grow day by day in our pure knowledge of God as a good father. Just as the Normandy beach paved the way for the day by day, step by step liberation of the countryside of France. Like those soldiers literally had to take steps into the countryside of France day by day. And by less than a year later in May, everything was free. So too, his cross made it possible for us to take incremental steps in our understanding of him as a perfect creator, a perfect leader, and a perfect friend. If you're a young person here or anyone else, you're like, wow, I really want to know the father like Kyle knows him. I really want to know him like Derek does or like Rachel or like Mama Debs. Anyone in this room it's step by step. Give yourself <laughs> a break. You're learning, you're learning what he's like as a good father. Give yourself a break if you're still hung up on things. God is the God, I heard it yesterday, of the big target. If you look to him, if you call the name Jesus, you're going to find your way. <laughs> Give yourself a break. He's got a, he's got a beachhead for you. Every step you take is a good step towards him as you look to him. Super simple. So as we continue to talk about the theme of sacrifice this morning, let us not get distracted in any way from Jesus' ultimate sacrifice, his beachhead. Now, we've talked about it, but we know his sacrifice was of infinitely greater proportions than what happened on those Normandy beaches. But in the same vein, in capturing the same essence of that sacrifice of death for life, these 4,414 young men, literally gave up their lives, their hearts stopped beating, their lungs stopped breathing, their futures as husbands and fathers and business owners and pro baseball players, all that lay ahead of them. It was ended on that day, but they did not sacrifice in vain. They died so we can live. Now let's quickly look at some bridge verses for us this morning from the Bible that that talk about, that really bridge for us the sacrifice of Jesus, the sacrifice of these young men to our current need to live sacrificial lives. Right now, 2019, June 23rd in Lakeway, Texas. Galatians 2.20 says this, Paul, who is a model believer for us, someone who followed the, the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, he says this, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Like right now, he considered himself dead. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live, everyone say now, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. <laughs> yeah. Philippians 2 3 through 5, another verse that's going to connect the sacrifice of Jesus, these young men, to our current need to live sacrificial lives. Let nothing be done, Philippians 2, 3 through 5, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That sounds like sacrifice to me. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to list the lifestyle of Jesus, a lifestyle of sacrifice, even though he had rights to everything that he uh, gave up on this earth. Glory. That's right, David. A kind of, and just one more verse to kind of solidify everything. And it's kind of an umbrella, kind of a catch-all connector verse for us living sacrificial lives right now. Living not for ourselves, but for God first, and then for others. It comes from Jesus himself in Luke 14. 33, Jesus says, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's, that's a really high standard right there. So likewise, Zeke, whoever of you does not forsake all, forsake means to literally turn your face away from. So if I was forsaking Katie, I wouldn't forsake you. But if I, this is an example I'm turning my face away. So Jesus says, turn your face away from all, any rights you think you have to time, money, pleasures, hobbies, jobs, whatever, none of that's yours. And then it ties back to Galatians 2.20. It's you're no longer living, Emily. (laughs) Christ is living through you. And that's why you're compelled. You're driven by love to go to the farthest parts of the world to bring this message. It's because you're not living anymore. You are, but you're not. Jesus is living through you. So Jesus has called us to forsake all rights to ourselves, our desires, our ways of doing things, because his ways are higher. You want to do them his way. If they don't line up with his. So Jesus was very intense and his standards were pretty, they were very high. But he was also, he was full of kindness and compassion and tender love. But it was also very Intense. So believers are ones who live lives of radical sacrifice on behalf of God and others. We are ones who see an opportunity where some measure of sacrifice is involved. And instead of squirming and trying to wiggle our way out of it, like we used to do and we still do sometimes, because remember, we're taking step by step to learn how to live like Jesus. But our first response shouldn't be to squirm or to try to wiggle our way out of an opportunity of sacrifice. We are ones who actually run to it and find joy in having the chance to join in the sacrificial lifestyle and example of Jesus, where we can give up something good so that someone can have that same good thing. Now here's a little aside, but it's a little angle on sacrifice that will not get us into a religious rut where we're looking to just sacrifice everything. And it's actually not when God's called us to do that. We are ready to sacrifice our own desires and pursuits of pleasures, listen here, as God calls us to, or as he specifically leads us to. We'll sacrifice our time, our money, our wants, and even our rights in order to train up the next generation in the ways of the Lord and to provide practically for the ones who can't help themselves by working hard and by living open-handed. But we are not ascetics. That's a big word, but it just means you voluntarily... uh, go without things like to the extreme level we are not those who inflict pain and sacrifice on ourselves just for the heck of it we sacrifice stuff only as God specifically leads us to God is a good father and still wants us to enjoy rest and peaceful pursuits of hobbies and pleasures as long as they remain in their proper place of affection in our hearts as long as they don't dethrone Jesus in our lives, these are all good things. So don't hear that this morning. Don't be a self-inflicting sacrificial martyr on the hills that God has not called you to not die on. I'll say that again. Don't be a self-inflicting sacrificial martyr on the hills that God has called you to not die on. We each have our hills, so to speak, that we are to die on meaning the sac- areas of sacrifice that he specifically leads us into. But if you're on another hill saying, God, look, look at all the sacrifice I'm doing in this, this area. He's like, I never told you to do that. Why are you doing that? Are you trying to earn my love or my acceptance? Are you trying to prove to other people that look how holy I am or look how sacrificial I am? No, he's not looking for that. You already have his love and acceptance. Listen to him. He's going to lead you specifically tailored for your DNA, for your skill set, for your gifting, For your heart, he's going to lead you into areas of sacrifice. Is that clear? Living a life of consecration and separation to the Lord doesn't mean we never have any fun or leisure. It just means we're willing to sacrifice any of that at a moment's notice as he tugs on our heart. Let me give you a perfect example. It's kind of a funny one of an unhealthy sacrifice. It's a hypothetical scenario. So we can all agree there are probably people in the remote parts of the world, maybe some of the areas that Emily's going to, who don't have access to quality sunscreen. We can probably agree to that, right? But the sun's still hot in most places, definitely in the 1040 window, and it still can burn you. So let's say you lived a life of unhealthy religious self-mortification where you're trying to prove to others and to God how much you loved him and and, uh, were serving him, but it wasn't of the Lord's leading. Let's say you live that kind of life or you're in that kind of uh, spirit of the moment. You might be tempted to go out to Slitterbon tomorrow from 8 a.m. to sundown to go without sunscreen the entire day just to prove that you care for those people in those remote parts of the world who don't have access to quality sunscreen, that you're giving up something you love so someone else can have the opportunity. God's like, no. You're probably going to come home Third-degree burns, maybe you have to go to the hospital for treatment. That's probably not the Lord leading you into sacrifice. That's just silly. <laughs> That's not the Lord's battle. That's not the hill for you to die on. The sunscreen hill. Maybe it is though, and I don't. I don't. I don't ever want to, like, block it off. He might call you to do that tomorrow, but probably not. <laughs> but as his faithful soldiers who fight through love and self-denying love specifically, we do need to fight the Lord's battles. We do need to enter into the sacrifices that he wants us led into. He always leads us into sacrifice with these flavors on them or these intended goals to build his kingdom, to spread his message either through the means of prayer or the actual proclamation and demonstration of the life and power of Jesus. It's always about building his kingdom and spreading his message. Now, you not wearing sunscreen at Schlitterbahn probably not going to do that. You're just going to look like a lobster. Who loves Jesus? You st- those pe- every one of us, because we've all we've all been in areas where we're sacrificing. God's not calling us to sacrifice. We all still love Jesus. We're all still in His kingdom. We're just we're not being as wise as we could be. And we have burns on our skin. Okay. In summary, guys, we don't religiously sacrifice just to sacrifice to prove to God and other people that we are in the kingdom of God. But we do sacrifice according to the individual, specific, targeted leading of the Lord in our own lives. And generally, sacrifice is gonna look different for every believer. Some are called to sacrifice the comfort, quiet, and freedom of being empty nesters by taking in foster kids. Perfect example. (laughs) Some are called to sacrifice extravagant vacations and nicer cars for a time, so that someone like Emily can go to Asia to bring, the Jesus, to bring Jesus to those who've never heard his story before. And there are thousands of other noble examples of sacrifice that the Lord himself might lead you specifically sky into. But just know that there is great beauty in all of these sacrifices and not one is not greater than the other. The greatest sacrifice in your life is the one that God has called you to do today. And don't look at anyone else and say, Oh, I wish I could... No, what resources do you have? What has the Lord led you into? What affection has he given in your heart towards a specific people group or a ministry or a call and give yourself entirely to it. And just know it's always worth it when you follow through, when you die to your own desires. It doesn't feel a lot of times because we're still not all the way there yet. It doesn't feel worth it when you're stepping into it. But at the end, at the end of each day, when you sacrifice time, whatever God's leading you into, it's always worth it. You're never going to regret it when you follow the Lord's voice and sacrifice. Matthew 10, 39 says this. Jesus says, he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. The deeper we go with the Lord in the specific areas of sacrifice that he calls us into, the deeper we go, the deeper we will be fulfilled. You will find your purpose in life. You will be happy. You won't always be distracted looking for other things. You're going to be happy. The more we're actually going to find our lives, the more we're actually going to live out the beauty and the purpose and the meaning that God has laid out before each one of us. Now, I think as true believers, I believe one area we are all called to sacrifice in is the area of time when it comes to focused prayer for the region that we live in and also the land of Israel and the Jewish people. That's one area and I'll, I'll show you some verses in just a second but pray for the region that we are planted in where you work where you live the people you see every day pray for that region and also pray for the region of Israel and the Jewish people. That's one area that I think every believer has been called to sacrifice in. And that's going to lead us into our action step as we close this morning. That same day, June 6th, I sense the Lord tugging in my heart to specifically lead us into this call for this message that I was going to speak today. To give up, member sacrifice, to give up time in prayer on behalf of our local region in Israel. And it's a two-month call, so don't I'm not calling you till kingdom come just like I called y'all back in March to pray for the ending of abortion till the end of the legislative session. You give it a try. Give it a go. See if God doesn't answer your prayers for your region and for Israel. See if he doesn't show off and actually cause you to meet someone whose eyes are radically open. I think he's going to. So back on June 6th, after the storm chasing died down and I was back in this prayer room around 4.15 p.m., I turned on some worship music and just began right here, right where Luke is sitting. I started sitting and then I was standing and then I was on my face. <laughs> I turned on some worship music and just began loving on the Lord again with my heart ready to pray for whoever he put in my thoughts. I didn't go over the big list. I said, I'm open to you. Put whoever you want in my thoughts. I was singing quietly, eyes closed, and it just struck me afresh how my eyes were closed. Like, everyone close your eyes. Your eyes are closed right now. You can't see anything else except the back of your eyelids. (laughs) Okay, you can open them. Like my literal eyes were closed. I sensed the Lord was wanting to speak to me about this, about my eyes being closed and the significance of what closing our eyes actually represents in his perspective. Now, since it was D-Day, the theme of sacrifice was on the front burner of my thoughts. And so in a sense, I saw the Lord seeing me in this moment. He showed me that in his perspective, my eyes being closed was a sacrifice. He was showing me that in these moments, I was indeed closing my eyes to any other pleasure or offer or screen or even any other person that this current world had to offer. That's a sacrifice. There's a lot of pretty things to look at. There's a lot of entertaining things to look at. He showed me that by closing my eyes for this hour in love to him and in prayer for others, I was sacrificing my natural sight in order that those who had yet to see Jesus for who he is as savior, as lover, as friend would have the opportunity to open their eyes and see him. I was closing my eyes so that eyes could be opened or that there would be a greater opportunity for eyes to be opened. So more people you have agreeing with heaven on earth, the more heaven comes to earth. The more people praying for a specific people group, a specific person, the more agreement there is, the more power is released. It just is. The more you pray for something, the more God's going to work on it. It's not complicated. If you pray for someone's eyes to be open, their eyes are going to be open, I believe, eventually. It might not be tomorrow. But the more agreement you have, it's a war. He was showing me that in these moments, I already said that. Remember the principle of sacrifice. Sacrifice. It's giving up something so that someone else can enjoy that same something. When an empty nester takes in a foster kid, they sacrifice their comfort and their total freedom so that a child can have the opportunity to experience the comfort and freedom that a loving, caring home provides. It's this for that. So here, with a closing of my eyes on behalf of this Lake Travis region, I was, in a sense, giving up my sight in a time so that those who hadn't spiritually seen him yet would have a greater chance of seeing him. Now, God honors sacrifice. He was showing me in these, in these minutes, in this hour, how much he was honoring it. My heart was exploding with faith and just sensing the moving of the Lord on our region during this period. That God was actually working on behalf of the blind ones. That he was actually opening eyes to Jesus in these moments. I can't wait to see what happened in eternity during that, that, that time. Because I felt like, and I was seeing in my heart, eyes being opened. I was feeling it happen, and it was like that feeling was better than anything else that I could have seen with my eyes open, and my eyes were closed. And I want each of you to experience that. That's the invitation. It's that rare, deep faith zone where you know, like, whatever you say is going to happen. That gift of faith, and that's a great zone to be in, and I want that for each one of you. So let's quickly take some look at some scriptures that describe eyes being open to Jesus. I believe these scriptures rooted in the word of God will give us faith as we take hold of this call to sacrifice an hour of our week until the end of August in prayer for the regions of Lake Travis and Israel. Second Corinthians four gives us both the condition of the problem and the remedy. We got to know the diagnosis if we have a condition, but we also want to know what's the remedy. What surgery do I need? What pill do I need to take? What things do I need to stop eating? These verses make it clear that a lot of the people around us, a lot of the people that you'll see today when you go to lunch or you go to the grocery store, a lot of those people are actually totally blind, living in spiritual darkness, but there's a God in heaven who has the power and authority and ability to command light to break in and open their eyes. Second Corinthians 4, 3-6. Paul says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age, that's Satan, has blinded. Everyone say, Satan has blinded people around me. These people who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves. Here's a little layer of sacrifice built into this reality of self-sacrifice. Paul says, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. It's like that verse is random in the middle there, but it's all about people going from darkness to light. There's a measure of of self-sacrifice involved in the middle there verse six, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. And here's our hope. The same God who said, let there be light in Genesis one is the same God who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we see there is a light problem. There is a sight problem and a light problem for these blinded ones around us. That's the diagnosis flat out. They don't see the glory of God So give them a break when they don't want to come to church or listen to what you have to say. They're blind. Blind people should act blind. Give them a break. Don't give them a break in prayer or in your witness of the gospel, but just understand that lost people are going to act lost. Blind people are going to act blind. They're not going to get it. They flat out don't see the glory of God. They don't sense the eternal weight and worth of the face of Christ as something to forsake all for. They don't see it as a worthy sacrifice. Verse four gives the condition and the problem, but verse six gives the remedy and the solution. Here's our hope this morning as we pray. The same God who said, let there be light. In Genesis one is the same God who says, let there be light in the human heart regarding the beauty, the glory, the worth of the face of the son of God. And verse five is our role in bringing about this light. It's being self-sacrificing, being bondservant ambassadors and emissaries of another name than our own. So we can take strong confidence that as we are praying for God to open the eyes, that he indeed has the power to flood the human heart with light that will reveal the majestic glory of Jesus. We are praying to someone who can actually do something about this light and sight problem to a God who can hear. He proved it in Genesis one. He has proved it for most of us in this room hopefully all of us by blasting us with the light and the truth of Jesus. First Peter two, nine and 10 gives perfect language to the testimony of God, shining light, the light of Jesus into the hearts of our, into the eyes of our hearts. Sorry. First Peter two, nine and 10, but you speaking of all true believers, but you are a chosen generation, a Royal priesthood, a Holy nation, his own special, peculiar people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who calls you out of darkness. Here it is. Who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He did the calling who once were not a people, but now are the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And I can say this verse is true from personal experience. On July 23rd, 2013, I walked into my parents' bedroom, hopeless, broken, utterly blind, blind, the reality of jesus the worth of jesus 45 minutes later i walked out not blind i walked out seeing after worship music was filling the room that had a worship music stream going and i just walked in blind for 45 minutes i felt the presence and the love of jesus and i walked out seeing (laughs) this is true You can go from darkness to light. You can go from blindness to sight. This gives us confidence as we pray. This didn't happen just (laughs) willy-nilly. This came because my dad, my mom, my grandparents, my church family in this room, they closed their eyes in prayer on my behalf for years and years and years, leading up to that one moment, that one day, those 45 minutes in 2013. God can give sight to the spiritually blind as we close our eyes in an intentional sacrificial act of prayer on their behalf. I'm not going to read Luke 24 for the sake of time, but a lot of y'all may know this story. If you don't, I tell the cliff notes version, but look at Luke 24, two disciples on resurrection Sunday are walking lonely, hopeless, broken. Their savior has just died two or three days before. And they're just, they're broken. They're like, all our hope is dashed. Jesus comes up next to them and starts talking to them. He starts opening up the scriptures to them. They don't realize it's Jesus though. He's just been resurrected, but he's veiled himself. Their eyes are darkened to him. They're blind. They end up going to a town where they're supposed to stay. Jesus was going to keep going on to the next town, but they say, no, keep talking to us about the scripture. They don't know it's Jesus yet. They compelled him to stay in the home that they were staying in and they actually had dinner. And while they're having dinner, Jesus breaks bread. And as soon as he breaks the bread, as soon as that crumb flies off, their eyes are immediately opened and they see it's Jesus. In a moment, they saw it was Jesus. So know that when you pray for people who are walking along a lonely, hopeless, broken road, wondering where their hope, their consolation is, maybe have dinner with them after you pray for them. Break some bread believe it. (laughs) It's right there. As we pray, let's believe God for these breaking of bread moments, for the people we love, for this community that we are planted in, and for the Jewish people in the land of Israel. Why pray for Lake Travis? We're about to be done, guys. Why pray for Lake Travis, our local community, and why pray for Israel? Jeremiah 29.7 says this, is speaking about our local call. The Lord says through Jeremiah, seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. And you're like, have we been carried away captive to Lake Travis? I don't feel captive. Yes, we're free, but in a sense, we're not free because this home is not our home. We're all pilgrims. We're all carried away captive actually in this life right now because this isn't our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. So anywhere you are on earth right now is actually going to be a captivity place. It's free, but compared to heaven, it's not free. Pray, seek the peace of the city where the Lord has caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. The Lord through Jeremiah here gives every believer everywhere a call to always pray for the local region where you find yourself planted in. Guess what? The home base of this, of this church, of this prayer room, where is, it? where is it? It's in Lake Travis. It's in Lakeway. Geographically, this place is not going anywhere unless the Lord just wanted to uproot it, translate it wherever we needed. Our people go places. Emily, you're going to the other side of the world. Y'all are all going to your workplace as you're going. That's what's beautiful about a home base is that it's a place for sending. It's not a place just to come, it's a place to go. But the Lord himself has caused this church, this specific group of people, the shelters you moved in the Hudson Bend area, that was of the leading of the Lord, this specific group of people, these families to be here, to live here, to work here for such a time as this. Acts seventeen twenty six says this. It says, God has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. And has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. We are not here by accident. We're here in the boundaries of this region. Determined by God's pre-appointed foreknowledge and leading. His sovereign will. So let us pray the Lord for these boundaries. Let us seek the peace of this region. This city. For in its peace we will have peace. Let's intercede for the Prince of Peace himself to open the eyes of people who are blind in every home in Lake Travis to himself. Let us pray for the leaders of our community to be blessed with the pure light of Jesus, causing all other priorities to turn heavenward and kingdom-minded. Let us pray for the eyes of our school leaders to get flooded with the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ so that students everywhere all across our district would have bold, sterling, sparkling examples of what it looks like to be saved and walk with God. Amen? Why Israel and the Jewish people? This would take 10 messages to unload. I'll just give you two verses. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. I'll just actually ver- read verse 3. The Lord to Abraham, he called a person who was actually not a part of any nation, or he wasn't a part of Israel, he called a person out of nowhere and said, I'm going to make a nation out of you the Jewish people, it's going to come from you, Abraham. And this is what he said. He says, I will bless those who bless you, Abraham, the Jewish people. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That was ultimately through the the holy seed of Jesus. But the principle is still the same. If we bless Israel and the Jewish people, we will be blessed. There's a prosperity gospel in there, right? (laughs) If we curse and ignore them, though, we will be cursed in some measure. I heard it this past week, and I have to agree with this person's assessment in his life. He's much older than me. But he said he had never met a person who genuinely loved and blessed Israel who wasn't themselves tremendously blessed. Never met a person. No greater way to bless the Jewish people than to pray for their eyes to be opened. Sacrifice time, closing your eyes, so their eyes would be open to the blessing and the desire of all nations. Their Jewish savor, Yeshua. Worship team, you can come up. Now just know guys, this call, this charge is just an offer. Just like with everything else, the sacrifice that God leads us, he has to personally lead you into. Otherwise you're just going to be doing it because this guy up here named Kyle told me to do it. That's that's not a bad thing if you actually feel like maybe I'll, I'll get the love for it later. But ask the Lord to give you specific things to sacrifice time, money, uh, energy, affection towards. And he's going to do it. So this call that I'm about to do is just an offer. Obviously, the Lord has to confirm this specific sacrifice to you. But if we are physically able, I do believe, like I said earlier, focused prayer is not just a nice optional add-on to the Christian life. It's presented in Jeremiah 27. 29.7, Twenty nine seven very clearly. It's presented in Genesis 12.3 and Isaiah 62.6 and 7 to pray for the Jewish people. And you might be like, I pray, Kyle. I know you do, brother. I know you do, sister. But I have to say, there's just something about setting aside scheduled, focused time with organized prayer resources, with targets and goals. There's something about creating a scheduled framework for prayer where prayer actually becomes way more likely to actually get done and to be effective and to be less distracted. So that's what I'm calling us to. You can put up the action step slide. Here's a specific call. It's to, in effect, close our eyes to the rest of life. Now, if you're with Lane, you'll have to give her to me for this hour. (laughs) Don't close your eyes to responsibilities that you currently have. Like if you're in the middle of, of your job, if you're working at Chicken Express, and you're like, I wanna do my hour from one to two while I'm at Chicken Express. And you're sitting in the drive-thru line, closing your eyes. Or you're sitting, yeah. And the person's like, where's my chicken? And you're just closing your eyes. You're going to get fired. (laughs) So make this a time that's appropriate, okay? Here's a specific call to close our eyes to the rest of life for an hour per week. For the rest of the summer, end of August. In a commitment to pray specifically for the radical opening of the eyes of the spiritually blind in our Lake Travis community and the people of Israel. And just know, as you pray for a people or as you pray for a region, your heart follows a lot of times. You're gonna start loving where you live way more as you pray for it. You're gonna start loving the Jewish people. You're like, why do I love them so much? It's like, because you're touching my heart for them. Give it a run, give it a try. Break it down half and half if you want. That's a suggestion. 30 minutes, like Travis, 30 minutes on Israel. If I have people who really love Israel, they're going to say, do it, flip it. Pray for Israel first and then pray for your local community. God will figure it out. End of August, I just have the faith, guys, that you're actually going to see some answers to your prayers. You're going to see that he's actually hearing you. I just have the faith that you're going to see some answers over these next couple months. I sense that he's going to prove it to you, just like he did for Ashton, for Stacy, for Michelle, for Cy, for Mary, for David, for Virginia, for other faithful gatekeepers who took, took up the heed, took up the call in early March to pray for the legislation to actually end abortion or go towards ending of abortion in our country, in our state. And oh my, how God showed off that he was actually hearing their little prayers from this little prayer room analysts from all sides of the political spectrum, left, right, middle, outer space. They called this last spring the worst spring ever for pro-abortion camps. And we were clearly just catching, yeah, we were clearly just catching the wind of what God was doing all across the the country with the movie Unplanned and other people just joining in. We just, we, we lifted up our sail and we caught what God was doing. But it was the worst spring ever, which meant it was the best spring ever for those of us who are praying. So let's close those eyes. Here's the action step. Go ahead and text in your name and your weekly hour. Remember, this is till the end of August to specifically pray for the region that we're planted in. Close your eyes to to everything else for the opening of the eyes to Jesus and also uh, for, for Israel, for the people, the Jewish people in the land of Israel. An example is, so I used you, Ashton, because you signed up last time for the ending of abortion. (laughs) So you don't have to do this, by the way. Um, I'd love for you to. Example, Ashton, comma, Tuesday, 7 a.m. And that's when you start and then the end time, it would be 8 a.m. And I'm not going to leave you empty-handed, guys. I've actually made a little, it's not super involved, but it's, some resources that are going to help keep you focused and this isn't a religious thing where you have to actually close your eyes the whole hour you can open your eyes to look at a verse but you're not opening your eyes to your phone or your laptop or um, other things (laughs) you can look at the bible (laughs) and these prayer resources and if you don't have your phone or you feel like it's weird to text in church i have a sign up sheet on the front miss katie's sitting by it you want to hold that up real quick And you don't, you don't have to do your slot here in the prayer room, although we would of course love to see you and we love to be encouraged by your face, seeing it every week like we do our other gatekeepers. If, it's, if it makes it easier for you to stay focused, that's what this room is for. It's this distraction-free, worship-filled, God-centered space. Like I said, there's something about that intentionality and that scheduling that makes this distraction-free zone uh, just easier to pray, and easier to stay focused. And guys, how light, how easy, how doable does this sacrifice seem in comparison to those young men in Normandy 75 years ago? There's air conditioning, there's food, there's whatever you need, we got it for you. How doable is it for us to close our eyes for an hour of those 168 that are allotted to us each week on behalf of every, everyone else for their eternal life? Those guys in 1944, they closed their natural lives in this life forever on that beach for us, for our life. How about we close our eyes for an hour, for eternity, eternal life for other people. Worship to you, go ahead.